the new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What's wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many did he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Manita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Pair it to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him $5, and he said I only gave him $1. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one on me. Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. All right. Man, I love that. Yeah, I love that video. You know why? Because it kind of pokes fun at my generation and the generation that went before me. Now, if you were at our services last week, you know I wore a business suit up here to preach out of respect for the builders and kind of the boomer generation and that. And then the millennials on staff said, Cam, you need to let us dress you for next week. And so jacket, T-shirt, that's it. When they said that, I thought, I don't know about that. But, but let me tell you, I play ball, but I don't want to hear any laughter because I'm about to have the boomer about y'all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You can't hide, son. I got that generational thing. Now, listen, I think our church is super blessed because we're not only a multi-campus church, man, by God's grace, we're a multi-generational church where literally five generations of Compassion Christians are worshiping every weekend and then serving Jesus all week which, let me just say, is why we are not having any services on our campuses today. Our whole church is at an online service for the very first time. And let me tell you why we're doing this. It's because we are a church that reaches every generation. We've got young people in our church. We've got middle-aged people in our church. And we've got the oldest generation in our, our church who is the most susceptible to the coronavirus because they have an immune system that is most vulnerable. And of course, like Jesus in the kingdom of God, the strong always put the needs of those who are weaker above themselves. Now, moving all our services online is just unprecedented for us. But friends, it is a move of compassion. It is not based on fear, but responsible faith. I mean, how in the world could we put the older generations of our church at risk 
and show compassion at the same time. And so we have this technology. We're able to do this thing online. And for this weekend and for next week, uh, Compassion Christian is going to be one church in a thousand locations. And friends, we're going to worship together. We're going to pray together. We're going to give together. We're going to serve together. I'm hoping that months from now, we'll look back and say this weekend was one of the most generous, most powerful weekends we've ever had because the church always does the best thing in the worst possible times. And let me just tell you, I would love it if you would send a picture of wherever you are. If you're by yourself, you know, watching the service on your phone, just send, send me a face uh, selfie of that. Uh, I hope you'll, uh, if you've got a watch party going on, if it's just your family there, we've seen some amazing pictures from the first service of little kids serving their parents' communion. It's just been amazing. And listen, after the invitation at our first online service, a couple drove to the Midway campus and were baptized into Christ. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's amazing, 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 amazing. So listen, man, you know what? We're just, whatever the world throws at us, we will find a way to get our ministry done. And of course, we're going to keep you up to speed with all the information we have as it develops. Just watch our website and our Facebook page and all of our social media channels, and we'll help you out that way. But once again, can I just say thank you for being so positive and so flexible? You know, our gospel message never changes, but how we deliver it changes all the time. And I'm telling you, as a church, you're setting a great example for other churches to see and to follow. And I think they'll be blessed like we are. Now, we're in this series that we're calling Generation to Generation. Uh, and last week we talked about the contribution that the builder and the boomer generations made to our church and to our world and why we love them so much. But friends, here's what we believe at Compassion. We believe that when the church is working right, each new generation is actually stronger than the last. And friends, I'm telling you, there's a great example of this in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 17 and just hold that for us, uh, I'll get there in just a minute. But before I do, let me just thank God for Generation X. Now, I got my Generation X outfit on here and hopefully I'm tracking, but let me tell you, I love Generation X. I think that X stands for extraordinary, all right? That's not really what it stands for, but that's the way, I, that's the way we roll here. Now, I have one son who was born in 1982. So he was in the last class of Generation X. And I think Generation X has been one of the most misunderstood and underappreciated generations. And let me tell you, there are some reasons for that. Uh, one is because so many of their boomer parents, mom and dad both worked and they were out of the house all day. In fact, it was such a dynamic on the Generation X kids that we developed a name for kids whose parents both worked and they had to walk home alone. Do y'all know what that name is? Dude, y'all heard this service last time and you still don't know what it is. We, <laughs> we call them latchkey kids because literally they would walk home. They would go to school with a, a key to their house around their neck and then walk home and go to an empty house, make their own food, had to learn how to deal with lots of time alone. Some of that was really good. Some of that was really bad. But let me tell you, no wonder Generation X is considered one of the most individualistic and pragmatic of all the generations. They had to be. Now, let's talk about some of the cultural pressures that shape Generation X. Number one is what Hayden Shaw, a friend of mine who is a, uh, spe uh, a specialist on generational impact in the marketplace, he calls it generational squish. Generational squish. This is what happens when you have a huge generation uh, like the baby boomers who are ahead of you, and then you have a huge generation like the millennials who are behind you, and your generation is literally 25% smaller than either one of those two. So who does television target? 
Well, they're going where the money is, right? Where the biggest demo, uh, demographics are. And I mean, Generation X, you got friends. You got 10, 10 years of that show, which is awesome. But let me just tell you, that's not where most of the consumers were. And so that's not where TV was focusing. Marketing was the same thing. Making commercials, man, they're going after the money, going after the big demographics, go after the boomers, go after millennials. Sometimes the Generation X folks felt left out. Let me tell you something else that affected Generation X. Divorce. Now, you know, everything costs something. And when you got a mom and dad in the marketplace running hard chasing that dollar, sometimes they start chasing other stuff that's not good for the family. And it leads them into failing marriages. And let me tell you, the divorce rate for the parents of Generation X is 100% higher than it was for the boomers or for the builders. Now, add to that, and maybe because of that, uh, economic dissent. Now, think about this. The Generation X didn't face a depression like the builders did. But when that economic rise during the boomer generation started to fade, prices stayed high and Generation X has had to deal with that financial pressure. Now, you know, we teach a course here at Compassion called Financial Peace University, and I love it. It's been a lifesaver uh, for so many families in our church. I just read the testimony of a young mom in our church who was celebrating the fact that she paid cash for the first time for a car. I mean, she'd never done it before, no debt, no payments, cash. And it was such a big victory for her because she grew up in that more debt, more credit cards mentality, you know, that people develop, you know, when they see their parents have all this stuff and they want it too, but they can't afford it. So they just charge it. And dude, debt and economic disaster always follow. And so she and her husband stopped that insanity in their family. But let me tell you, a lot of the people in her generation are still on that debt death march. And all of that combined to produce a culture of parody, you know, where you make fun of things. You know, it's interesting. This is the roots of fake news. Uh, generation Xers have been accused of being cynical and depressive, which again, I think is an unfair character because man, Generation X are some of the hardest work and most resilient people in our church. But what do you do when you have a generation of boomers who think because they're so successful, they're the masters of the universe? And then you got these millennials who are so special, they get trophies for everything. And you're stuck in the middle and nobody seems to talk about you at all. What do you do? You mock them. Mock every, develop a sense of generational sarcasm that just cuts like a knife. You ever heard of The Simpsons Show? That's a Gen X show. You, uh, you ever heard of South Park? Now, I haven't watched either one of them, but let me tell you, the way they describe Christianity is pretty cynical. John Stewart's The Daily Show, Stephen Colbert's The Colbert Report. Those are not news shows. That's cynical comedy. And yet there are generations who say that's where they get their news. But you know what the truth is? On the other hand, Generation X watched these corrupt televangelists get, you know, outed on television. Uh, man, they watched the Enron scandal. They watched corrupt corporate leaders and politicians being hauled out in handcuffs. Maybe Gen X would just call it like they saw it. You know, last week I was uh, waiting for a lunch pickup and uh, I started visiting with this lady about our church. And she asked me, you know, where's the school in town that's got the best special needs program? And I'm like, oh man, I don't know, but I know who does. You need to come to our church because we have this amazing all-in ministry for special needs children and for their families. And man, we just started talking about it. I was so thankful for our church, right? But we're talking about the challenges of raising a special needs child, but also the special blessing these kids are to our family and then the special strength we develop because we go through that challenge. 
And I told her about Mickey Allgaier, you know, who's a lady in our church who told me, Cam, I'm so thankful that God let me be the mother of a special needs child. She said, my daughter has made me a better mom. And listen, that challenge has made their family just extraordinary folks. And I think Generation X is like that. They have faced extraordinary challenges and it has made them extraordinary people. Now, let's look at some of the unique strengths that Generation X brings to our church to make us all stronger. First of all, Gen, Gen X prioritizes relationships and community. Man, this may be one of the outcomes of being a latchkey kid is that you get really good at making friends and you're motivated to do so. And nobody in our history has ever done this better than Generation X. Now, you know, the boomer generation was so large, man, everybody's competing with each other all the time. And maybe one of the good things about a smaller generation is that you see your friends as kind of a band of brothers and sisters, and you learn to face life together, which is kind of brilliant when you think about it, how God could take the weakness of one generation and flip it into the strength of another if that's what you choose. Now, you can choose to be depressed and cynical, but you don't have to. You can take that relational strength and leverage that. I think Gen X has led the small group ministry in our church. Do they just led the way? Now, Gen Generation X brings another strength. They see the spiritual in all of life. I'm telling you, man, one of the most famous business guys in the builder generation is a guy named Ray Kroc. Now, you may not have heard of Ray, but I bet you have heard of the little hamburger and real estate empire that he built called McDonald's. Now, he wrote a book about his experience called call uh, Grinding It Out. And in that book, Ray said, I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And in the office, that order is reversed. Now, you know what that's called? It's called compartmentalization. It's where you separate the sacred from the secular. Now, friends, you know what they call that? We call that here at church? False doctrine. Dude, that is bad theology. And let me tell you, my generation just lapped it up. Consequently, we've all been disappointed by people who, you know, put God first on Sunday and then on Monday morning, they look just like everybody else. They cuss like everybody else. They do business like everybody else. You see them at a ball game ranting on Facebook about politics, whatever. They look just like the world. You know, Generation X called us on that. This generation of Christ followers said, listen, the message of Jesus is there is no separation between the sacred and the secular. Man, if you're going to follow Jesus, you ought to follow him all the time everywhere. And listen, I love that about that generation. I'll tell you something else about Gen X. They serve, man. They want to serve and they've made our church stronger because they have, which is awesome. But they're not just interested in serving here. They want to serve in our lighthouse. that takes care of poor people in our community, or they want to serve the homeless downtown or widows and orphans who are in need or under-resourced schools in our communities. Man, they take their faith to the street. Now, here's another strength of Gen X. They reclaim the value of life and family over work. And I am so thankful for the focus that Gen X puts on relationships, especially on their families. Listen, we've kind of complained about the fact that Gen X gets married older and older and older. I think it's because they're waiting until they felt like they had the time and money to give the kids the attention they deserved. And then, man, they had a bunch of them. And they focus on them, <laughs> maybe too much, but we'll talk about that in a second. But you can understand why the baby boomers characterize Gen X as slackers, because they would not sacrifice their families on the altar of money the way my generation was so often willing to do. But they did have a couple temptations they've got to watch out for. And, and let me just share what, what I think two of them are. The first temptation that faces Gen X is the temptation to build your own truth. 
Now, this is what happens when you get disappointed and you get cynical. Have you ever heard anybody use a version of this phrase, what's true for you might not be true for me? I mean, that, that's not my truth. That might be your truth, but that's not my truth. Friends, one of the biggest shifts from the boomers to Gen X is boomers were asking, is it true? And prove it. Gen X was saying, hey, I just want to know if it works. Does it work? Which is a great question to ask as long as you're building on the truth. But sadly, so many in Generation X got disillusioned by the institutions in our country because they were disappointed by the moral failures of the people who led them. I mean, that was certainly true for government. I mean, you remember Watergate, Monica Lewinsky? Let me tell you, that disappointment bled over into the church as well. Now, friends, sometimes we're all disappointed. But if that leads you to dismiss any authority, and I mean, you know, you think that truth is only what you think is true, what you want, what your agenda is, what your preference is. Wow, that's dangerous. Because I tell you, eventually you'll get to the place where nobody can tell you anything, even Jesus. And I mean, you know the danger of this. Look what it did to the marriages and the families of the boomers who went right before you because they said one thing and did something else. Man, don't make the double mistake of not believing anything. And then you just do whatever you want. Because I'm telling you, it leads to the same sad, hard spot or worse. Now, of course, you've been disappointed by some of the failures of the church. Can I just say me too? But very few of us are disappointed in Jesus. And friends, Jesus is our only reliable source of truth. Now, I know sometimes there's a temptation to say, well, I like Jesus. I just don't like the church. Well, friends, Jesus thinks of the church as his bride. He loves the church. Now, she's a hot mess sometime, but I'm telling you, he loves his bride. Now, you know, if you walked up to me and said, Cam, I love you, but I can't stand Sarah. Bro, you better step back. You better step back a little bit because I'm telling you, you can't love me and not love the person I love the most, even if she isn't perfect. So I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus, man. We're building his, our faith in him. Don't put your faith in me or any other human. Put your faith in Christ. Listen, everybody will eventually disappoint you, including that person you see in the mirror every day. But Jesus, you need to make sure your truth is his truth. Because Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And then the rain comes down and the streams rise up and the wind blows and beats against that house. And it does not fall because it's built on the rock. But if you hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And listen, the rain's going to come and the streams are going to rise and the wind is going to blow and beat against your house. And if it's built on sand, great will be the crash. So Gen Xers, I know you've been disappointed by people. Here's the bad news. You always will be. Here's the great news. You will not be disappointed if you humble yourself like all the rest of us and choose to build your life on the truth that Jesus taught. Now, here's another temptation for Gen X. Cynicism. Cynicism. You know, I think the Generation X see themselves as realists. They look at the builders and the boomers and think, you guys are too optimistic. I mean, you are unrealistically optimistic. And I think they might be right about that. But man, resist the temptation to get cynical about it. You know, realism is what helps you face life as it is, you know, and and deal with things and roll through the setbacks and cut through the hype and stop the spin. But cynicism, dude, that's an overcorrection. 
Cynicism is what happens to people when they get disappointed and they think, I'm going to get me an insurance policy to make sure I'm never disappointed again. I'm not trusting anybody. I'm not letting anybody in. And friends, <laughs> that kind of cynicism shuts everybody out of your world because you think they can't be trusted. You don't open your heart to anybody. And friends, I'm telling you, cynicism, that's how you cut the love out of your life. Now, you know who is a great realist? Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter two, I know what is in the heart of every man. He, he knew the good, the bad, the ugly, but he never let that make him cynical. Man, he trusted that God was in control and he eventually even died for disappointing people like me so that I could be saved by his love. Now, let me tell you, when you know you're going to be hurt and you love people anyway, that's the most Christ-like thing you could possibly do. And that's one of the reasons I love Gen X so much. And I think they've just been a gift to our church. And I thank God for you. Now, I also want to thank God for our millennials. Hey, we got the millennials right here. Look at them. There they are. Woo! Good looking millennials too, y'all. They're called millennials because they were born around the turn of the millennium, uh, 1983 to about the year 2000. They're 20 to 37 years old. These are the children of the youngest boomers uh, and the oldest Xers. And let, let me just tell you, there are all kinds of you know, perceptions and, and put downs for the millennial generation. And can I just tell you, they've heard them all and they're sick of it. Amen. They're sick of it, man. They, they, see, they're too nice to actually act like it, but they are because I love them. Let's knock that stuff off. But can I just say this? We have a staff full of millennials and they are some of the brightest, hardest working servants of Jesus I have ever seen. And man, I'm thankful for them. Let me say this also. Millennials are the most photographed, videotaped generation in the history of our country up to that point. Dude, when those babies were born, dad was in the delivery room with a video camera. And if that creeps you out a little bit, it should. That's goofy, man. But then every birthday party, every graduation for preschool, kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, trophy presentations after every little league, everything. And this was before cameras were on your phone. Man, if you had a camera back in the day, it looked like you worked for a TV station. And I ought to know because I had one of those things. But let's talk about the culture that shaped millennials. Heavy parental involvement. That's a nice way to say that, isn't it? That's positive. Heavy parental involvement. This is when you began to see those baby on board signs on the back of minivans and minivans were developed for this generation. Uh, stickers started to appear, you know, with all the parents and the, all the little kids and the dog and all that. It's interesting that 90% of the millennials that are polled by the Gallup organization say they have a great relationship with their parents. They love their parents. They want their parents in their lives. Tom Rainier says that 77% of millennials seek the advice of their parents regularly. And I think maybe millennials have a better you know, relationship with their Gen X parents because the Gen X parents grew up in the digital revolution and the parents of the boomers did not. And so these guys had more to talk about. Uh, millennials are seldom given a latch key, <laughs> seldom given an opportunity to walk home because their parents are way too protective for that. Dude, there's sexual predators out there. There's problems out there. I ain't no way I'm putting my kid at risk. And those parents also had a fear of low self-esteem. Uh, millennials were raised by parents who had a fear of low self-esteem. Man, millennials are confident. Dude, they are confident. 
Their parents want to make sure they felt good about themselves and every contribution, which is why millennials receive trophies for everything, participation trophies. Many of them played in ball games where nobody kept score except the kids, playing the, the kids all play. Yeah, the kids, the mama's going, oh, that's not important. And the kids going, yes, it is. We beat somebody here today, you know. I mean, I don't think you can take that out of human nature, right? But I mean, it's that effort. Of, oh, we don't want anybody to feel bad. Everybody gets to play in every game, regardless of skill level. Hey, these guys didn't ask for that. You know who asked for that? Mama did. Daddy did. Those, the parents of millennials are the ones that set up that craziness. You know, I have a niece who's a university professor in New Jersey, and she told me that the biggest shock of her career was walking out of the classroom one day, and there was a mom of one of her students lurking in the hallway waiting to confront her because she didn't like the grade her daughter got on that class. And Laura's like, ma'am, I cannot legally talk to you about your daughter's grade. And she said, let me tell you something. My daughter was at every one of these classes. She deserves a B at least just for showing up. Right? Just, just for participating. Now, when, when Laura told her that she did not agree with that assessment, that mother huffed off to the dean of the university to let them know how much money their family gave that school and do something about that grade. Now, that is the crazy generation that we live in. And let me tell you, those kids take that as an insult that my mom thinks she got to buy me a grade. But that kind of helicopter parenting... It's in the news today. There are people going to jail for this, y'all. And it has made American students number one in one area. You know what it is? It ain't math. It's not science. It's not sports. But we are number one in confidence, man. We got the most confident kids in the world. Now, it's not based on anything, but we're confident, brother. You know, they also grew up in a time when technology was normal. You know, millennials are the first generation to grow up digital, surrounded by technology. I, I, how many of you have ever seen a baby walk up to a big screen television and do this? Swipe it. You know why? Because these kids are growing up with computers. You'll never have to teach them computers. There are computers in every toy they have. The McCann World Group uh, organization discovered that half of the millennials that they surveyed said if it was one or the other, they would surrender their sense of smell instead of their phone. Now, listen, man. I talked a couple weeks, uh, Marcus talked a couple weeks ago about how devices are digital carnivores in everybody's lives these days. And man, I hope you took his challenge to use your screen time function to just track how much of your life you're giving to that little device in your hand. Because this generation is growing up with a device in their hand. It's normal for millennials. And that is not all good. In fact, it's really bad in some ways. Now, friends, millennials have some unique strengths and they are blessing our church and blessing our world. They are the most cause-driven generation ever. Man, I'm amazed at the level of participation of millennials in our global outreach ministries. Now, let me just say this. We found out that we're going to have to do this service 236 hours ago. And most of these millennials you see right here have been working nonstop to make this service happen. And thank God, because they believe in this cause. Man, listen, we have mission partners around the world who are blessed by the millennials from our church who go serve there. Now, these guys grew up hearing in the news about horrible school shootings, terrorist attacks, coronavirus outbreak. They know life is uncertain. They know it can end at any moment. And so they want to make a difference now. You know, Grant Skelton wrote a book, The Passion Generation, about millennials. 
He said, millennials haven't rejected the church because it's too exclusive or too traditional. I mean, that's what you hear on television and read in blogs, but it's not true. Millennials have rejected the church for a pretty simple reason. The church has asked too little of them. And the church has failed to call millennials out of their ordinary lives and into the extraordinary life of Jesus. Now, I don't think that's true at our church, which is why we have so many 20 to 37 year olds involved in life changing ministry here every day. But I'll tell you, millennials love authenticity, man. They got to keep it real. You got to keep it real with this generation because, you know, they've had their Katy Perry's and Miley Cyrus's and Britney Spears who walked away from their Baptist faith or whatever kind of faith it was. They've watched the governors and the CEOs go to prison because of corruption. They're saturated with the you know, TMI, too much information that they see from celebrities on Twitter every day. So they don't expect perfection from anybody, but they got a pretty sensitive bogus meter. And man, I'm telling you, they want faith and everything else to be authentic. And I'll tell you, millennials love teams. They love teams, man. They grew up in preschool, go to a blue team or a green team. And I'm telling you, loyalty to their friends is one of their highest values. I, you know, they just grow up, they grow up loving their parents, loving their grandparents. Age doesn't shut them down. You know, when their boomer or their builder grandparents says something goofy, they just roll their eyes and keep on loving them. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool. I think Glee is probably the show on television that typifies this generation the most. Here's a generation that is super comfortable with racial and economic and gender diversity. It's amazing. But they also face some really big temptations. They have grown up in a society saturated with sex. Now, my friend Hayden Shaw says that sexuality is the water that this generation swims in. And you know what they hear from our culture? Sex is how you say, I like you. I like you. Met you one time, never going to see you again. But I like you, so let's have sex. Commitment's not necessary. Casual sex is normal. Promiscuity, what's the big deal? Celibacy, impossible. That's what this generation has been taught by the culture. And I'm telling you, sadly, every survey shows that that cultural path is the path to relational disaster in the present and depression and divorce in the future. But man, millennials who know Jesus taught about sexual purity, they wonder if celibacy is even possible. I mean, if they have a faith in their background, they know they should be sexually pure, but nobody talks about how. But we do. <laughs> we do here. We teach our kids, make a decision in advance. Decide you're going to stay sexually pure. Tell your date. If they push you, dump them. You can do better. Make a decision to save yourself from marriage. I did. My wife did. My three sons did. Their three wives did. It's certainly Tim Tebow did. And I mean, look what he had to marry. Miss Universe. Yeah. Decide. Just decide what your standards are going to be. Nothing below the neck. Don't take anything off. Don't lay down ever. That's how you stay safe. Now, sadly, the only place in the culture that's not talking about sex is fa most families and most churches. Now, friends, that's not true of our church, but I'm telling you, most churches never talk about this stuff. And we got to speak up. Man, we got to speak up. Listen, all the research shows that the Bible is right, that, that God knows what he's talking about. Listen, the people in America who enjoy the most sex and the best sex are evangelical Christians who have been mentored on how to love unconditionally by Jesus, who only have sex with the one person to whom they are married. Now, many millennials would say, I know that's what God says. I just don't think it's possible. 
But friend, it is possible. And there are a lot of people in our church who've lived that possibility out. But this is also why we have a series of family messages every year. And we talk about Jesus's design, God's design for sexual intimacy. Imagine a square with a man and a woman inside that square and they are married to each other. That is the sexual intimacy that God created you to enjoy. And it's awesome. Anything outside of that box, a man and woman married to each other, that is not God's will for you. That is not God's best for you. You are not created for that, for anything outside of sexual intimacy between a husband and wife who are married to each other. Now, friends, you weren't made for that. And you can find out the hard way or you can hear what Jesus says about it. But I hope the millennials who are here today will hear loud and clear. People who wait, people who practice sexual purity have marriages that last longer and are less likely to have affairs or abuse or go to divorce. Man, sex is awesome. God invented it. Sexual purity is where it is the most awesome. And sexual purity is tough, but it's good. And I'm telling you, man, God knows what he's talking about. Here's another temptation I think millennials face. The fear of judging more than misjudging. You know, we have a culture that applauds people who don't make any judgments at all. They just don't judge. It's like if you say anybody is wrong about anything, dude, you're a hater. You're a hater. That's insane. I mean, that's craziness. And yet one of the temptations for millennials is to say, well, look, I'm not perfect. And I don't want to say anything negative about other people who aren't perfect either because I'm not perfect. And so I'm just going to let them do what they want to do and I'll do what I want to do. You know what Jesus called that? The blind leading the blind. Now, friends, of course, we want to be loving and accepting of everybody and not, you know, condemn people all the time. But listen, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Every good tree bears good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. Jesus said, you should discern whether it's a good tree or a bad tree, whether it's bearing good fruit or bad fruit, because a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Dude, you got, you got to make that discernment. Now, how in the world can we say we love our friends and be silent or affirm behavior that you know is relationally and emotionally and spiritually destructive or just go along with it, you know, because you're afraid somebody will call you a hater. Now, man, I know you love your friends and I know you want to make a difference and I know you value being authentic and those are strengths. But the apostle Paul, who is a transformed hater, said that if you want to honor those values, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Authentic faith is always loving. And let me just tell you, authentic love is always faithful to the truth. Always. That's what Jesus taught. All right, let me land this thing. There is an amazing story in the Bible of a Gen X or a millennial age guy who lived his faith out so loud and with such power that it just inspired other generations who were watching. And it's in 1 Samuel 17. So turning your Bible to 1 Samuel 17, you'll know this story the minute I start telling it. It's the story of David defeating Goliath. And I don't have time to read the whole story to you, but you can read it. Here's verse one. It starts out this way. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. 
Now, friends, here's the setting. The people of God are being attacked by a terrorist organization called Philistines. And the Philistines are planning to make slaves of the Jewish people. But to minimize those fatalities and increase their economic gain, they wanted to settle this war through single warrior combat. And man, the Philistine champion is a giant named Goliath. I mean, he's this crazy nine foot tall WWF looking dude. He walks out in the middle of the battlefield and just challenges everybody, challenges the Jewish army. Come on out here and fight me. We'll settle this thing today. And they, they were scared to death. I'm telling you, nobody went out to fight that guy. The king didn't go. Nobody in the army went. And I mean, this went on, this kind of daring prompting went on day after day after day. And then one day, this young millennial kid named David, <laughs> who was taking a care package to his older brothers who were in the army, just happens to walk up while Goliath is delivering this challenge. The man Goliath is making these really nasty comments about the Jewish people and the Jewish king and the Jewish God. And David hears this and he's like, dude, that's wrong. This is wrong. I know what he's doing. I know he's just trying to pick a fight, but this is wrong. And so he goes to his brothers and he says, hey, why don't one of y'all go out there and whack that guy? Now, have you noticed that millennials ask so many questions that sometimes they are considered disrespectful? Have you noticed this? And sometimes millennials, without a lot of experience, make statements that actually are disrespectful. And that's what David is doing here. And his brothers respond the way many people respond when you ask disrespectful questions or make disrespectful comments. His brothers say, why don't you shut up? He's a monster. You're not in the army. What are you running your mouth for? And then David does this amazing thing that shows us the character of his heart. He humbles himself. He says that he sees that communication in this way just doesn't work. Rather than get cynical, man, he humbles himself because he's got this skill and he sees this opportunity to use it in a way that will, will bless everybody. And so he humbly volunteers to go fight the giant. He says, I'll do it. And man, when he said that, they take him off to King Saul because King Saul's got the green light this, right? And so David learned his lesson with his brothers. And so he just very humbly says, your majesty, man, I know we got a big problem here, but you got to know I have a particular set of skills that I can use. And I would like to volunteer to fight that dude. And I will win this single warrior combat and end this threat. Well, now, King Saul's a boomer, right? I mean, he's the king of Israel and he's a seasoned warrior. He's been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right? And he's looking at this young buck. I mean, he's a strapping, strong, handsome, confident young man. But King Saul asked what any leader is going to ask. Dave, have you, are you in the army? No, sir. Have you ever been in a battle like this before? Not really. You ever kill an enemy soldier? Nope. David... Goliath is a seasoned warrior, bro. He's their champion. Why do you think you can even help us with this? Have you ever even been in a fight for your life? And David's like, well, when you put it like that, yes, I have. Yes, I have. I'm a shepherd. That's what I do for a living. But maybe when you're a shepherd, you got a lot of time to train. And so I train, train, train all the time. And one day I was out watching my dad's sheep and a bear came out of the woods. He's going to attack my dad's sheep. So man, I get between him and the sheep and I'm hoping the bear's going to run away, but he doesn't run away. And he says, King, you see this staff right here? I beat that bear to death with this stick. And another day a lion came out and grabbed one of my daddy's sheep in his mouth and went to run off. I'm like, oh no. I ran that joker down, grabbed him by the hair, beat him to death with this same stick. And he said, your majesty, I believe that God has uniquely gifted me to win this battle for you. Goliath will never see it coming. When he takes a look at me, he'll think rookie. He'll think kid from the youth group. Just give me a chance. 
I promise I won't make a fool out of you. Listen, God was with me in that field when I killed that bear. God was with me when I killed that lion. Please, I think God wants me to do this. Please trust me with this responsibility. And so Saul's looking at this guy, confident, humble, jacked up, and he makes an amazing decision. King Saul says, okay, go get him. And maybe you know this story, man. <laughs> David walks out on that battlefield, there's a little creek right before the battlefield. He reaches in there, gets five smooth stones, put, them, put it in his little satchel over here. And when Goliath sees this kid walking out, he starts yelling at him, trying to scare him off. And David yells back, hey, fat boy. That's not in the Bible, but you know, it, it could be. All right, big boy, God sent me here to solve this problem. This is your one chance to surrender. And when he says that, Goliath loses his mind, man. He just starts <laughs> running at David. And David starts running at Goliath, which Goliath had never seen before. And when David starts moving toward Goliath, he uploads a killer app. Yeah, yeah, it's a sling. It's a projectile weapon, brilliant. The new generation brings a new technology to the battle that neither Saul had thought about using or Goliath had ever seen used before. It was a killer app, literally. And so Goliath is this big dummy with a sword and way out of sword range, David loads up that swing and just boom, and hits him in the head with a rock. Goliath is immediately concussed. David takes him out before Goliath even gets close enough to put a sword on him. And when Goliath went down, Everybody on that battlefield was in shock. Why? Well, because a hyper gifted guy from the youngest generation respectfully offered to help a man from the oldest generation. Question, who took the biggest risk? Was it David? I don't think so. I don't think so. David was a stud. He knew what he could do with the blessing of the Lord. He'd already seen it with the lion and the bear. He didn't really worry about anybody but himself. I mean, he could outrun that big dummy. He's not worried about that. But I think King Saul did the wisest thing he ever did in his reign as king that day. He recognized the capacity of a respectful young man. He recognized the blessing of God on a young man from a younger generation. And this is crazy, y'all. But King Saul trusted David with the destiny of Israel. That was a huge risk. He gave David a huge responsibility, which he humbly embraced as the call of God on his life. And God blessed Saul and David. And God used Saul and David to save his people that day. Imagine the difference that we can make when generation after generation respects and trusts and pursues God's will all together. And maybe this is the day for you to get started. Maybe this is the day. Maybe watching this service online is such an unusual thing for you that you know God's trying to get a message to you. You know God's trying to get through to you. Friends, all the effort that has been made to bring this into your home, to bring this to your phone or wherever you're watching this service today is because God wanted you to know that whatever generation you're in, he has a job for you. He has a calling for your life. He wants to take whatever mess you've made of life and fix it so that he can use you as an example and as a strength to bless the world and your generation. And you could make that decision right now. 
Listen, there's a button on the top of the screen where you're watching this. It says request prayer. And if you want to make a decision for Christ today, I want to encourage you to press that button and just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And there's a whole room full of pastors who are taking all of those calls right now. And they'll be in touch with you just as soon as they can get to you. Listen, if we have to stay here all day answering prayer requests, we'll be here all day so that we can respond to you. And if you're ready to give your life to Christ like that couple was down at our Midway campus after the first service, man, we will meet you and lead you to Jesus and baptize you into Christ. And this will be the greatest day of victory in your life. Or maybe you just got a prayer. Need. You know, everybody's afraid of this virus. What does this mean? How is this going to affect our, our economy and our salaries and all that? Listen, man, if you're struggling with anxiety, press that prayer button and somebody will immediately begin to pray with you. Or if not immediately, we'll get to you as fast as we can. And if we have to stay here all day to do it, we'll do it. Friends, this is the day that God wants to do something new in your life. He wants to bless your life like he blessed David and like he blessed Saul. He wants to bless you. And I'm going to pray right now that you will summon your courage and take that next step, which might mean coming to one of our campuses and say, hey, I need to talk. Or it might just mean pressing that button and letting the conversation begin. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time you've given us to be here to, together online as a church. Lord, thousands of people logged on for the last service. Thousands more are with us right now. Thank you, Father, for this technology that enables us to, to connect with your word and connect with worship and connect with prayer in such a powerful way, even though this virus is keeping us from getting together. Lord, we know what Satan means for evil you can use for good. And I pray, God, that today you will use this service to strike at the heart of many, many people who need to take that next step so that they can feel the transformation that only you can make in their generation. And I pray, God, that they will take that step today. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.